Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Ranch Show on AM 770 KTTH, streaming on the KTTH smartphone app. An anti-police socialist pretends she's got nothing to do with Seattle's crime crisis. Plus, a sheriff's deputy is randomly attacked in Olympia. That is what's trending. What's trending? Crime. Now let us start in Seattle, where all the action is. Still dealing with the aftermath of a suspected gang-related mass shooting, one that left three people dead, six others wounded. Five guns were recovered. Sounds like people are being uncooperative with the investigation. And if it is, in fact, gang-related, that reaction, the being uncooperative, if that part's true, that can be explained in two ways or for two reasons why someone might be uncooperative. Number one, well, they're part of the gang. They have some kind of connection to illegal behavior. Or number two, scared of retribution, which is a very reasonable fear in a city that has a gang problem that Democrats won't acknowledge. In fact, if you go to KTTH.com right now, you can read my analysis on this. We talked a little bit about it yesterday. You have Democrats who refuse to use the term gang because it's racist. Now, it's not actually racist. That's a ridiculous position for them to take. But if you want to read the reasoning behind it, go to KTTH.com. Now, either way, if it's gang-related or not, we know why it happened. We know why we continue to see this surge in crime. Number one, we go easy on criminals. Here's Seattle Police Officer Guild President Mike Solon to Como. When you have a criminal justice reform efforts that don't hold criminals accountable for their actions, you see those tragic situations unfold as if it's commonplace. Now, that should not shock anyone, right? That makes total sense. It's logical. You tell a bad guy we're not going to punish you for being a bad guy. Well, bad guy becomes badder guy. That's what happens. Number two, the reason why we're seeing all of the crime that we're seeing, particularly in Seattle, is we don't have remotely enough police officers. Not even close We lost about 600 cops since 2020, the Black Lives Matter riots and rallies, which inspired the Seattle City Council not just to demonize the cops, but to defund. They promised 50 percent. They delivered on 18 percent. They tried to walk some of it back ultimately, but they sent a pretty clear message to police officers, which is, yeah, we don't want you here. And so they said, "Okay, I'll leave. And that's exactly what they did. But to Tammy Morales, a socialist city councilwoman, one of the leaders of defunding, a council member who early on, when we had a full-blown riot in downtown, said to not criticize rioters and don't say that rioting doesn't work. She says police staffing isn't an issue. Police aren't going to help. We can't have an officer in every hookah lounge. We need to focus on responsible behavior. We can't have an officer in every situation to prevent gun violence. 
what we can do is work to reduce the guns that we have on the street. We can work to reduce the guns that we have on the street. Just if we go with your plan, however that's going to work, are the police not the ones to do that? Or will you be going door to door asking for people to hand over their handguns? And of course, make sure you only go to the homes of law-abiding citizens because we're the only ones who participate in any of this nonsense. We're the ones who actually follow the law instead of break the law. Whereas gang members, of course, don't follow the law. we got to get guns off the street. The irony of all of this is that there have been more and more and more people who end up purchasing a firearm because we have fewer and fewer and fewer cops while crime surges because of someone like Tammy Morales. The person who is selling the most firearms is that person who wants to take those firearms away. Democrats. Tammy Morales sells guns. Jay Inslee, Bob Ferguson, they sell guns. And I understand perfectly why people purchase firearms and conceal carry, many people do, due to crime. I know because I'm one of them. I don't want to be caught in a position where I can't defend myself. And so while she's busy pretending that simply saying, well, cops can't be everywhere any at all times, which is a disingenuous way to have this conversation because no one said that cops will be everywhere at all times. But we do certainly acknowledge that the more cops you have, the more proactive policing you have, the smaller the chances, the, f- the less lesser the chances of this culture of lawlessness continuing to not just develop, but spread. But people like Tammy Morales and others, particularly in Seattle, they don't want to acknowledge that we have a problem. Seriously, she didn't even say we have a crime problem. She just said we have too many guns on the streets. What does that mean? Because the truth is, if we had a zero murder rate, right, if if it was quite literally zero, let's live in that world for a moment. And guns still existed. Tammy Morales would say the exact same thing. She would still hold that position. We got to get these guns off the streets. Because we want to maintain that zero death rate. That's what she would do. They don't want to acknowledge any of the problems because they know they're responsible. They know they're responsible. And the funny thing is on the gang issue. Yesterday I reached out to the mayor's office. And I reached out to SPD. Who are almost always great at getting back to me. SPD, not the mayor's office. Mayor's office never responds. And I simply asked this question, and it's seriously not even a trick question. The way I framed it, I went out of my way to make sure it wasn't perceived as a trick question. I mean, it is a little bit of a trick question, but you know what I'm saying. I simply said, do you believe that gangs are responsible for any aspect of the current violence we're seeing on our streets? I didn't say, is it the only? I didn't say it's the main. I just said, is it at all a part of it? No response, which is rather telling. It is not in any way, shape, or form controversial to point out that we have a gang problem. Not even a little bit. Unless, of course, you think the term is racist. Unless, of course, your goal is to focus on guns. You are anti-gun to a fault 
That's all you think about. The only other obsession that's unhinged that you have is with Donald Trump. You hate guns on the left. You hate Trump on the left, the far left. And they don't want to divert any of the focus from their anti-gun efforts, even when they're sort of just phoning it in, which is basically what the response has been to the shooting. In large part because they all know that it's gang related and they don't really want to make a big deal out of that. Mayor Harrell, however, wants to get rid of the state preemption law, which prevents cities from creating their own gun policies. The reason why they do that at the state level, and I believe almost every state has an a preemption law on guns, is let's say you live in Tuckwilla. Now, I don't want to do that to anybody. Let's say I'm kidding. Let's say you live in Auburn. Well... Okay, I'm just, I'll stick with Auburn. And you work in Bellevue. So there's quite a few cities between there. Now, let's say on the way in, Auburn has the one gun law. You're passing through Renton, which has a completely different gun law. You're now violating that law simply by driving through with your gun, even though maybe in Bellevue and Auburn, they have the exact same gun laws. It would create too much of an onerous system for anyone to even know whether or not they're violating the law because it changes from area to area and sometimes you're driving through a city you're like where am i exactly is this is this fife i can't is this are we technically in fife right now imagine that scenario seriously imagine that scenario and so it makes total sense that we have this preemption law but the reason why they want to get rid of it is pretty obvious right They want to craft new laws, which ultimately will take away guns. Here is a question I have for every single person in the mayor's office, all the way up to the governor's office, because they want to go after your guns and new laws. What is a law that could have been on the books had we not had a preemption that would have prevented the shooting over the weekend? I will wait patiently, but not forever because there's no answer. The answer, well, the answer is none. There was no law that could have existed. And they know that. They totally know it. But they don't care. They're sticking to their little talking points. It's easier to do that than actually lead. God forbid the mayor do anything but give out a statement or talk during a press conference. Usually telling us, oh, no, plan is in the works. So hang, hang in there. We're, 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 my team is working on a plan right now. When can we expect that plan? When we're done working on it. When will you be done working on it? When we're completed with the task. No, I got that. When will you complete the task? When we determine there's no more work to be done and we're ready to implement. What timeline are we looking at? We're going to take as much time as we need to make sure that this is right because every life Matters, not the unborn, but every life matters. Okay, thank you, Bruce Harrell. We have seen normalization of crime in a lot of ways. It is a single person, actually, go back to Monday, yesterday. We opened the show, we talked about the shooting over the weekend. And go back to any day last week in which we talked about crime, whether it's in Seattle or Puyallup or Bellingham, whatever. Have I covered a single story, a crime story, 
within the last several months that has legitimately shocked you? No. Right? Not at all. You're not even on the fence on some of the stories. Well, well no, that, I guess I believe it. You're, I'm not saying you're not alarmed by it or disgusted by it. I'm not saying it doesn't create anxiety for some of you. But when was the last time you were legitimately shocked at a crime story? That you heard the details and you said, wow, okay, that's, that's bad. I mean, I know we got some problems. I didn't realize it was that bad. I'm willing to bet there's not a single person who's listening right now, whether listening live on the air or on the podcast, and you can feel free to text me at 1-800-465-8770. I'm willing to bet there's not a single person who has been shocked by any of the crime stories that we've delivered in the last, I'll even go year and a half, because it's now become normalized, even a mass shooting. Now, what are we seeing at the same time? A different kind of crime. We're seeing a rise nationally in attacks against police officers, against law enforcement. And of course, Washington state is not immune to this. Fox 13 is reporting that some dude threw a rock at a Thurston County Sheriff's deputy's windshield. It was over at the Capitol Mall parking lot. It was completely out of nowhere. It was unprovoked or to quote Fox 13, which didn't edit their story, an unprovoked man. Threw a rock at a windshield. Yeah, I know. The man is unprovoked. Not was, but is. So the deputy gets out of his cruiser, chases the guy, catches the guy, gets hit by the guy. This, according to the report, calls for backup. Olympia PD was the closest there, so they got there. They arrest this guy. Anyone shocked by this? Even just a little tiny bit. The only thing that might maybe kind of sort of shock me is if we learn the dude wasn't homeless because this screams homeless criminal, doesn't not? You might be onto something. Right. Just random dude starting to attack a cop. This kind of, I, I mean, I suppose it could be a BLM radical. Some Antifa dude who just got bored because not really organizing anymore. All of his friends finally got jobs and moved out of their parents' mother-in-law apartment or mother-in-law unit over in uh, Kirkland or Mercer Island. I'm guessing homeless. We'll follow up on that. I want to know. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? National. Now, here is something that I do think we would legitimately find shocking if this were to happen in Seattle or Tacoma or Everett, wherever. Because things are so bad in Chicago. There is an older woman. Her name is Maria Haddon. She is proposing that the city make a deal with its gang members that basically is promise you won't shoot at each other between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Now, after that, if it's 9 p.m. to 9 a.m., have at it. We're going for the purge. Do what you will. But please, during 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., do not shoot anyone. Don't shoot each other. Don't fire a weapon. Do that after 9 p.m. and before 9 a.m. Now, the proposal is called, somewhat ironically, I think, the People's Ordinance, because I would argue you're not really helping the people who work a third shift or anyone who's got the munchies at 11 p.m. and wants to go down to the -the jack-in-the-box. Or, I don't know, I'm going to throw this one out there, literally every single child who goes to school who is going to be in school before 9 a.m., which means they're on the road. 
7, 8 a.m. What about them? Uh, Well, you're going to have to adjust. You know, we tell families to adjust because we're going to change the start of first period so kids can sleep in a little bit. Uh, Same thing. We're doing this for you kids. You don't want your kid to get shot. Don't leave the house earlier than 9 a.m. Now, they're working. The city apparently wants to work through, or at least Maria Haddon wants to work through, some nonprofit that has former gang members. And they believe that they could be the sort of go-between, which makes me wonder if they're really former gang members or maybe just working with the city and getting a nice little contract, but maybe still participating in the gang membership. Be that as it may, there are flyers that have already gone up. And it instructs the gang members to, quote, protect the youth, no sliding while the sun is out. Now, I'm assuming that's some gang term, is it? I would assume so, yes. I've never heard of that before. I mean, I have heard of it, but I didn't want to shame 28-year-old producer Max because I shouldn't know what this word is at 41 years old, and I don't want him to feel bad. And, you know, people have been saying I'd be nicer to to, to Max. Who and says so that? Everyone said that. I mean, I'm glad they're saying it, that. but I, I don't believe you that anyone actually said that. Everyone always says that. They said it for Peyton. They said it for Jacob. They said it for Darren. They said it for Tom. They said it for everybody else who's no longer with me. And they're dead to me. And then another part of the flyer has a fence painted on it with the word, don't shoot. I want to grow up. Now, in an interview, she says, we are basically doing what it is we can do. It's better than nothing. Which, to me, kind of still feels like nothing. Because the truth is, how often are you seeing these kinds of acts of gun violence in the middle of the day in Chicago? It tends to, unless it's on weekends. They should have just put up a flyer that said, give the weekends back. Give us back our weekends. No more gun violence. Because that's when we see so many people getting shot, including children. It's disturbing. It's absolutely disturbing. That it's gotten so bad that this is an idea that has even been uttered. I mean, think about it this way. If someone came to you five years ago, actually, we don't even go that far back, pre, pre-BLM, and they said, here's an idea. It's innovative. Let's ask the gang members to only kill each other and others between 9 p.m. and 9 a.m. and give us the rest of the day. That would have been left out of the room you would have been embarrassed for you. I would have been embarrassed for you. You wouldn't even come forward with a plan like that. And yet now it's so bad that Maria had and thinks, oh, oh, well. And by the way, Chicago's not just dealing with gang violence, of course. Now they're dealing with violence as a result and other crime, not just violent crime, but other crime as well, as a result of the influx of migrants to the sanctuary city of Chicago. You'll recall that Lori Lightfoot, then mayor, said, hey, we're a sanctuary. You come here. We'll protect you from those evil, racist, xenophobic Republicans. And then the Republicans were all like, "Okay, here you go. And then the Democrats and Lori Lightfoot were like, wait a minute. We didn't want these extra brown people. I mean, we didn't want these people here. We're we're very compassionate, but you're sending us the wrong kinds of people. 
I mean, no, I can't say that because then it betrays my virtue signaling and I really am a big racist and I don't want any of these people here. Unless, of course, can you clean a house? Oh, cool. Okay, then you can come on. That's how they view migrants. They're props to them, which is ironic because then they accuse Republicans of using them as props. But the Republicans are like, we don't want them in our – have we not been clear? Have we not been clear? And so it's causing a bunch of problems. They end up putting up a shelter in a spot that the community uses. People are pretty upset. We're seeing increase in prostitution, narcotic sales. Occasionally there's a fight. Uh, Certainly the stores around the immediate area have reported shoplifting. Now that's Alderman Brian Hopkins speaking with NBC Chicago. And he said, this is just not fair. They're expecting the city of Chicago to house, feed, clothe, and provide medical care for this indefinite number of migrants. More could be arriving next week, for all we know. Yeah, for all you know, they could be. Uh, A little hint. They are. They're coming next week. So prepare now. You said you wanted them. You made that comment at the expense of Republicans whom you labeled xenophobic for saying exactly what you're saying. And now you live with the consequences. And I don't know Brian Hopkins in particular. For all I know, he's one of the three moderate Democrats there. But y'all asked for it, and now you got it. That's on you. My favorite before we go, just real quickly, because Karen Bass, the mayor of Los Angeles, she tweeted this Monday night, the day after not a hurricane, but heavy rain hit L.A., the evening of a day that there was not a cloud in the sky. She tweeted... This evening, Los Angeles received another bus from Texas. That means that while we were urging Angelinos to stay safe, the governor of Texas was sending a bus with families and toddlers straight towards us knowing, and that was in caps, they'd have to drive right into an unprecedented storm. Evil. I mean, my God. Pathetic. 1-800-465-8770. By the way, federal government transfers immigrants all around the country all the time. She doesn't say anything. Our friend and local tax expert, Greg Nunn of Nunn Better Tax Resolution, he is growing. He's looking for some tax specialists. So if you are someone who is passionate about fighting for taxpayers and you're looking for a job, then give Greg Nunn a call. 425-947-1967 or Google N-U-N-N, Nunn Better Tax Resolution. Welcome back to the Jason Rand Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, by the way, for making my forthcoming book, What's Killing America, a top new release over at Amazon. At least the Kindle edition. I mean, I only make the money, really, if we're talking about the hardcovers. I'm just throwing that out there. You know, if you want to contribute to my growing ego and my brand, but also my bank account, uh, please pre-order the book today. And buy it as a hardcover at Amazon. Again, the name of the book is What's Killing America Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. Something I learned about – I mean I shouldn't even say something. I've learned a ton about how all of this works. Have you gotten boycotted by Target yet? Not yet. I I swear every day I check in with my so editor. I, I'll, I'll send – I'll complain to them. Yeah, so send in a complaint. Book. You say, how dare you carry this smut? On your website, 
Just make sure I don't do it from my work email. No, you can do it from whatever they. Oh uh, yeah, fair enough. I'm not. They're not going to go. We'll back do it on the up and up. They don't know I work at uh, KTTH. <laughs> but you know, the Amazon in particular is all about the algorithm. So it's not like someone goes through all the books and says, "Oh, unless it's from a very big." name doesn't go through the books and say oh this book would probably do really well because of what's going on in the news today blah 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 no it's pretty much all algorithm based and so the more people who pre-order the better promotion the book ends up getting which then helps fuel additional orders but if it doesn't get a lot of pre-orders then it won't it, it will be not suppressed necessarily but it won't be promoted so if you could i would really appreciate it head on over to amazon and pre-order what's killing america it comes out in just a little over a month so yesterday joe biden took a break from yet another vacation to go to maui after ignoring the fire for 2 weeks upon learning that the fire claimed the lives at the time of over 100 people and about 1,000 people missing, including a ton of kids. And the sad and morbid reality is they're dead. Upon learning of all that, the first words that came out of his mouth were no comment when asked about this. It was a pathetic display of a lack of leadership. Like, it, it was shocking how poorly he handled this. And so he goes to Maui, and then yet again, it became shocking at how poorly he handled it. Remarkably so. He seemed tired. Tired enough to possibly fall asleep during one of the events. I'm a little on the fence. I'm assuming a lot of people probably saw the video. If not, it's on everywhere on Twitter. He's at a table. The, the video quality is not the greatest, so it's hard to see whether or not his eyes are shut. He's certainly breathing like someone who has sleep apnea and was asleep at the time. I'm, I'm not kidding. The, you Look at the video. He's breathing in a way that seems obvious that he's asleep, but I can't say that based on the video. I'm speculating, and I obviously have a bias. But... Once he was on stage talking to people, he did kind of sound like he was sleep talking and, of course, didn't make any sense. And, of course, decided to make weird jokes at inappropriate times. Well, hello, people of Maui. Senator Maisie, by the way, Maisie, I told my granddaughter, whose name is Maisie as well, she said, that's why I like her anyway. (laughs) But her name is Maisie as well. Rick... uh, when we talked on the phone, I never. I, you look like you played uh, in defensive tackle for uh, I don't know who, but somebody good. Now, that's a comment I might make while making a joke about how little I know about football. I don't know if you would know what a defensive tackle is. I don't think he knows what a defensive Fair. tackle is. Oh, you look like you play for, you know, some team that does well in some capacity in some league of, you know, anyway. So he's trying to make a joke while trying to also be the consoler in chief, right? He's making a joke, a bad joke, a lazy joke he doesn't even complete. 
while people are still wondering when they'll find the remains of their family members and friends, and apparently he thinks that's appropriate, he was just full of jokes, but also full of it. Because as usual, he just lied. He's not mistaken. He's not misremembering a story. Listen to him lie in this clip. I don't want to compare difficulties, but... Just real quickly, and then I'll let him finish. When you start, I don't want to, that should be an indication that you should not. That you, you, The words, I don't want to do this, should never come out of your mouth unless you're being forced into something. If there's a gun to your head... That wasn't the case. You didn't have to tell this lie. We have a little sense, Jill and I, what it's like to lose a home. Mm. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was in Washington doing Meet the Press. It was a sunny Sunday. And lightning struck at home on a little lake that's outside of our home, not a lake, a big pond. Is it a lake or a pond? Does it matter? And hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating ducts, the air conditioning duct. To make a long story short, please, please, almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, (laughs) and my cat. But all kidding aside, I watched the firefighters, the way they responded. No, there's no expression. Um, Did you watch the firefighters from the set of... Meet the press. I'm I'm kind of curious about that. The story he just told is a complete fabrication. There was a small kitchen fire that was under control very quickly. And even the fire department has said many times the story he just told is a complete exaggeration. Okay. He is a pathological liar. And I know he thinks it's endearing. When he tells that story, because it reminds us he's just like you and me, also dealing with suffering, also dealing with tragedy. But there's not going to be a single person who lost their homes and or their family and friends who listened to that stupid story and felt any better about the situation that they're in. They might feel a lot better if you would offer more than $700 per person to basically rebuild their entire lives. And then because he has to make everything about himself and his own tragedies, he also brings up the death of his first wife. We've surveyed the damage from the air as well. The devastation is overwhelming. To date, 114 dead, hundreds of people unaccounted for. I remember when I got the call, my first wife and daughter, I was a young senator, and I got a call in Washington. I hadn't been sworn in yet. I wasn't old enough. And I was hiring staff in the Capitol. Teddy Kennedy's office, and I got a phone call saying from my fire department, and a young first responder kind of panicked, you got to come home. There's been an accident. I said, what happened? He said, your wife, she, she, she's dead. Come home. Come home. The tractor trailer had broadsided her and, uh, uh, and killed her in a car accident along with my little daughter. And uh, I remember all the way down from Washington home, Wondering what a lot of people here are wondering. What about my two boys? How are they? They were in the car. I never got a read on that. Yeah, they weren't worrying about your two boys uh, during all of this. He, he's trying to earn some weird sympathy points 
while he should be talking directly to the people offering them support from a nation, support from their government, support from a nation. And you have the temerity to tell that story. The only thing missing was the story about Bo Biden dying overseas, serving in some war, coming home in a, a drape-covered coffin, which never happened. It's odd when people have to make everything about themselves. It's severe narcissism. And I say that as a narcissist. I recognize it. But I also can read a room and say, you know what? A joke here is not going to be appropriate. Or me pushing myself into a storyline doesn't really make sense. It's the, the wrong time. We've all had those moments, right, where where maybe in a meeting or maybe something serious, you're at a, a wake and a thought comes through your mind of something you might say, maybe cracking a joke to lighten the mood, but then you're like, eh, I'm going to go uh, and keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to really go down that, that, that lane right now because it's clearly inappropriate. He never seems to have that. But remember, Donald Trump is the evil one who's a loudmouth and mean-spirited and unpresidential, and you can't take him anywhere. But apparently Joe Biden's all good. Now, at the same time, there's some news ahead of the debate tomorrow, which we will be carrying live right here on KTTH starting at 530 with the pre-debate analysis right with me on this show. Six o'clock to eight o'clock is the live debate from Milwaukee, followed by an hour of analysis from Fox News. Now, we know everyone who's going to be on the stage. We also know the folks who are not going to be on the stage. Mayor Suarez of Miami, even though the tweet is still up claiming that he qualified, did not, in fact, qualify. And Larry Elder did not qualify, according to the RNC. However, he's all like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yes, I did. And I'm going to sue to stop this debate unless I'm on it. He says he qualifies because he met all of the requirements, one of which includes three national polls showing over one, 1% or more support. And he was able to get that via three polls. The problem is one of the polls, Rasmussen, has some kind of connection to the Trump administration or Donald Trump himself. And so they said, we can't, we can't not going to count this one because obviously there's a conflict. Now, Larry Elder says, I didn't know that. You didn't say that. What are you talking about? So it either was said or it wasn't. This seems to be pretty cut and dry. So we'll get an answer at some point soon. I'm assuming before tomorrow. I find it a weird move to sue to stop a debate from going. I feel like even if you were clearly wronged, I don't know why, but that just does it not rub you the wrong way just a little bit i don't know it's larry elder he's trying to do what he can to get his name out there. I, I, I get it but i don't know it sounds do the kids say weak sauce yeah i, I guess they say that just say they say it they say Make it. me feel young again yeah it's kind I don't of weak know if sauce. i can do that it's a little weak sauce now because trump isn't going to be there the two in the center of the debate stage which means they're going to be on every single camera shot, basically, and they'll get more questions. It will be Ron DeSantis followed by Vivek Ramaswamy. 
Martha McCullum is one of the debate moderators. She's awesome. And she explains what this night is going to entail. The night is not about us. The night is about the future of the country. The night is about how the Republican Party will choose their nominee. And the focus really needs to be on these candidates. Our job is to draw out of them in the most concise and challenging way how they would deal with the very serious issues that confront the country. Yeah, that's not going to be easy, but she's very good. Brett Baer is very good at this. And... Based on their past performances, they won't be someone, won't be folks who try to turn this into editorializing on their own behalf. 1 800 465 8770 if you want to send me a text message. When you text the keyword app to 1 800 465 8770, we'll send you a link to the app. You'll get an alert tomorrow for the debate in case you're one of those people who forgets. And then you can stream it in its entirety on your phone. You're listening to The Jason Rant Show. Welcome back to the Jason Rand Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. The scandal-plagued Bob Ferguson has another scandal, hence scandal-plagued. You get it? You get it? He's played I, by scandal. Yeah, you got it? that's okay. pretty on the nose, yeah. Yeah, well, sometimes you need to be direct. That's fair. King County Superior Court judge, according to the Bellingham Herald, says the state of Washington has to pay attorney's fees to Value Village. After the Washington Supreme Court said the attorney general's office violated the store's First Amendment rights. Now, I remember this story almost like it was yesterday, almost because I don't remember all the specific details that are probably important, at least as far as the original claim goes. However, I remember talking about this at the time that it happened. It was back in 2017. And Ferguson's office came out and said, Value Village is deceitful. They're deceiving, let's start that over, deceiving its customers because they think that this is a charitable nonprofit organization. But in reality, they're an evil, greedy, for-profit company. I, I added some of the language there, but that was the gist of the claim. But according to a judge at the time, the attorney general's office refused to meet with Value Village or identify what they were doing that needed to be changed before the state decided to file a lawsuit, which was very, 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 very much politically motivated because he was trying to make a name for himself, pretending that he's standing up for people when he really wasn't. He was only padding his resume for the current gubernatorial race. Instead, according to that judge, per the Bellingham Herald, the state demanded that Value Village make a multi-million dollar payment to the attorney general's office to settle the investigation. And when that didn't happen, they ended up suing. The judge at the time noted that during litigation, the attorney general's office continued to send out press releases that claimed Value Village was deceiving its customers. So this was A.G. Ferguson acting very much out of control. And clearly, clearly violating their due process rights and ultimately their First Amendment rights. And so now, according to the Bellingham Herald, 
While Value Village submitted a total of nearly $5.7 million in receipts for attorney's fees and costs, the state will be allowed to challenge any of the discrete aspects of the costs that are claimed before August 30th, when the response from the Attorney General's office is due. The Superior Court judge will ultimately decide the exact amount that will be rewarded or awarded. The Supreme Court remanded the case to the King County Superior Court to dismiss the claims brought by the state and to decide whether or not Value Village was entitled to recovery of any attorney's fees and costs. And in this 27-page ruling, the judge was all like, yep, yeah, they're owed some money. The judge wrote, the state's conduct during this case contributed to increased fees and costs. Shady behavior by a shady attorney general. And I hope it reminds you of the story we did maybe, what was it, two, three months ago? Where the office, his office withheld documents during a case? Withheld documents that they were legally forced to hand over during discovery, and they chose not to do it. And so then he got hit at the time with, I think it was a little over a million, what was it, one point something million dollars in fees to go to the plaintiff in that case, who was, it was uh, making an allegation of abuse at one of the homes that Department of um, Family and Youth Services handles. So, you would think that maybe someone would learn their lesson, but then you, I hope, remember what I say all the time, which is when you're not the one paying any of the bills, you really don't end up learning a lesson. You think Attorney General Bob Ferguson cares? Let's say it's the whole $5.7 million that is owed. You think you think Ferguson feels bad for that? The only thing he's feeling right now is anxiety that this could be used against him during his race. He does not care that he's taking the money from you because like so many government agencies and so many politicians, including Republicans, they don't view their budgets the way you would view your own budget. If you've got a project you're working on and you need to hire someone to fix your bathroom, remodel your bathroom, You decide what the budget's going to be, and the second that anyone deviates from that plan, you start to get nervous. And sure, maybe you can risk going $500 over, $1,000 over, but you set your budget, and you expect that it's going to be met, and you're going to guard it because it's your money. That's not what happens at the state level or the local level with politicians, and it will never happen. It will never happen unless... You tie some of this directly to the lawmakers or the bureaucrats who are responsible. Some kind of penalty. That if because of your incompetence or because of your nefarious intent, because you were looking to make a uh, send a message with the value village claim, if a judge finds that what you did was wrong and illegal – And a fee is assessed, you're going to have to pay from your budget or you're going to have to pay a personal fine. We do that on a very low level when it comes to ethical violations of politicians. I can't remember what the story was. It was I think it was Monka Dingra who got hit with like a five hundred dollar fee. Can't remember what it is she did. I think it was I think it was the abortion 
uh, press conference where she got political and you're not supposed to get political while being a representative of the government outwardly political. You're not supposed to push for campaigns and whatnot. And she got hit with, I think it was $500. I mean, that's something. I don't think she's going to really miss the $500. And when some politician doesn't hand over public disclosure requests or doesn't handle the request the right way, sometimes you get hit with small fees. Oftentimes where when you sue and you're making some money, because some of these cases you end up getting like one point something million dollars. It comes out of, again, the budget, taxpayer budget. We're paying for it. Now, I don't know how we do it in a fair and honest way, tying some sort of personal penalty to the politicians who make these moves that end up costing us millions and millions and millions of dollars. Don't know. But I'm willing to bet we can all kind of figure it out if we get the right people at the table. They don't want that to happen. Not in Olympia. 1-800-465-8770 if you want to send me a text. 1-800-465-8770. You're listening to The Jason Rant Show.